0: I'm going to start, though, by doing an activity of trust. Um, up on the screen there, I've entitled today's sermon, Trust That Conquers. And I'm hoping as, uh, as we unpack this, it will make a lot more sense. I'm going to uh, test the trust of my daughters. Uh, we had a bit of a practice at this home the other night for a little family devotion. Um, so we're going to do this little trust activity where they stand stiff as a board, if you stand there, um, they stand stiff as a board, and when I say go... Their task is to fall straight back into my hands without actually stepping back, to demonstrate their trust uh, that uh, I can catch them. Are you ready? Okay, this is Phoebe, everyone. All right, here we go. Straight back. Oh, yes. The first time she did it, it took about five times without stepping back. Do it again. One more time, we'll go a bit lower this time. Okay, ready? And go. Oh, yes, well done. Alright, Holly's turn, she was desperate to come and help me as well, so, alright, kids don't try this at home unless somebody's there to catch you, and make sure that it's your older brother or sister, not your younger brother or sister, as strong as my little boy is, I'm not sure he's going (laughs) to hold their weight, alright, Holly, hands by your side, ready, and go, oh yes, so proud right now, alright, one more time, we'll go a bit lower, Okay, ready, and go. Give them a round of applause. Thank you, my girls. Now, my hope is that as we start this uh, talk today, uh, I want to talk about trust. Trust that goes beyond what you can see. Trust that conquers the self uh, that's often untrustworthy. This analogy, as with any, any analogy, has its flaws, but illustrates the point of this talk. I, I want to talk about something, uh, so that the heart of every human being, we have talked about it here at the project, uh, being the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So it's the seat of who a person is. And I want to take that analogy without stretching it too far, but I want to talk about uh, someone actually sitting on that seat. The seat of your heart is always enthroned with someone. Or something and implicitly you trust whoever is sitting on that throne now that trust can turn to all sorts of disastrous things or that trust can also turn to uh, some really marvelous things and I want to invite you today uh, to think about your heart as a seat and on that seat someone is enthroned or something is enthroned there's only room for one king did that just cut out there's only room for one king Uh, one person to govern and rule the heart. And my second point is this, glad obedience will either, to whoever's sitting on that throne, glad obedience will either increase our joy and peace or it will become depressing enslavement to whoever it is that's seated on that throne. So you're getting it? Your heart is the seat of the mind, the will and the emotions. That's a lot of who you are. But then that seed is also enthroned by someone or something. Every human being has this as, uh, as part of their maker. Trust goes deep to the core of every human being. Today we're going to enter in on the time where God's people began to distrust God as king. Up until this point in history, so we're going right back into the Old Testament. So this is a part of the Bible before Jesus had come and been born. The Old Testament uh, was the lead up. Uh, and, and it was all pointing towards this wonderful moment where Jesus Christ would come and enter into history. But up until this point, Matt talked about the first five books of the, New T- of the Old Testament last week and how Jesus was uh, sort of shown in those books. Today, I'm gonna to talk about the next 12 books. I'm not gonna hit everyone, you, you can understand that. Uh, but the next 12 books are called the historical books. And these basically give a historical rundown of how God's people uh, lived in the world but also uh, interacted with all the other nations around them. Most of the time, it went terrible. (laughs) Most of the time, you read this historical account and the stories that go with it, and it went uh, pretty badly. Not because God was doing a bad job of being king, but because the people kept on doing their own thing. The people kept on distrusting. And I want to suggest today that we're actually like those people. Human beings haven't changed all that much. The core things that go on within, inside a human uh, haven't changed that much. There's a lot of stuff in culture and, and technology and all that stuff's grown, and that's wonderful, but the, the actual core of a person hasn't changed that much. That's why we sit here today still preaching the same stuff, still preaching the same Jesus, still preaching the same Bible, because it's existed right throughout history, and it's going to exist right into the future. Uh, which is also a great hope. We're going to do a Bible challenge today. So all the kids who've got a Bible, hold up your Bible in your hand, and adults, it can be anyone. But I'm going to give the kids the benefit of the doubt. Uh, all you phone people, I tell you what. I don't, know, I don't know if I can include you in the competition, but let's see. Maybe these guys will be quicker. So parents, if you want to, if you want to help your children, this should be great. Are all the Bibles going at the back? Anyone who's able to get into a Bible okay here's how the Bible challenge works Caleb knows knows this well Uh, the Bible challenge works like this I will say the scripture and then your job is to find that scripture as quickly as you can and once you've found it stick your Bible in your head so that I know you're ready and so I know you've done it and then I'm going to ask uh, the winner to either read it or if they can't read it find someone around them who can read it okay you ready Bible challenge 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verse 1. Go. 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, there's one, two. I'm waiting for a kid, three, four. (laughs) The phone people are sticking their phones on the head. Hopefully the radiation won't affect you. This one, uh, you found it. Yeah, you're the first kid. And then Caleb, very close behind. Give him a round of applause. All right, all right. Uh, Are you keen to read a few verses? Caleb, oh, he's handing it over. Nice work. All right, Caleb, would you mind standing up here and reading for us? Yep, are you up for that? Yeah, beauty. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, this is at a point where up until now, uh, the people had, uh, God had given them judges to govern them and rule them uh, in the sense of maintaining justice amongst the people. Okay, God had also given them people uh, called prophets who uh, samuel was one of them uh, who was actually god's mouthpiece he, w- he was the person god spoke through to get the messages to the people but listen here to the big change that was about to go on chapter 8 verse 1 go caleb oh, i'll keep going i'll tell to stop all right pause there can you hear that so up until this point the people had trusted god with their rule God had been their king, God had been their ruler, God had been their leader, and he provided incredible, miraculous ways to actually lead them. You know, uh, there's the story coming out of Egypt where he led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He protected them. He made way through the oceans for them to go out and be free into the promised land. Uh, So God had done incredible amounts to demonstrate, I'm your God, I'm your king, I'm a good king. And I want you to trust me. And here they come. Uh, they've seen that people aren't doing the job that they want them to do. And what do they do? They're like, all right, we're done with those people. Samuel, your sons are doing a terro- terrible job. They're stealing from the people. They're wanting to do, do their job for personal gain. So we're actually going to uh, we're gonna re- we're gonna go up against them. We're going to protest. We actually want a king now, a human king. Can you understand how offensive this is to God? God has been a perfect king. God has been a good king. God has been a generous king, a benevolent king to his people. And now here's the people going, God of the universe, you're not good enough. We want a human king who's going to rule over us. We want someone we can see. We want someone who's going to lead us into battle. And here's what happened after that. I'll keep reading, mate. Thank you very much. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So here we go. God's saying, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king. uh, But it doesn't come without warning. All right? It's almost like, uh, you know, if you're a parent, you know that children persist and persist and persist and persist and persist. And you go, okay, you want that thing. I know it's not going to go really well for you. But right now, I'm just going to give you over to that just i'm just going to give it to you and you can test it for yourself to find out that's not going to go well for you has anyone ever had that happen to them kids you ever that happen Mum and dad have said don't go there and you're like oh i'm going to go there anyway <laughs> and your parents sort of watch you watch you go make sure it's all safe and and uh, and protected in some sense um and and you find out oh gee that didn't go so well so here's what god says to his people so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Verse 11, he said, These will be the ways of the king who will rule over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and run before his chariots. Right. So these guys are going out ahead of the army. So who do you think are the first to be killed in the, in the war? It's the foot soldiers out in the front, front lines. Uh, the chariots are going to come in behind. Uh, he will... Take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. That means he's going to tax them. He's going to take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll make your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you'll cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. That's a scary thing for the people of Israel because God had been their sole, commu- their, their sole leader and king up until this point. And now God's saying, well, you're making a choice, my people, my children. I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to give you a king. And that king isn't always going to go well for you. In fact, it's going to be more of a burden to have this king than it would be if you actually followed me. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard of all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So you're seeing that it's a massive turning point in Israel's history. God had been their perfect king. God had been their good king, leading them, guiding them. And now they're saying, we're going to have another king. We want a human king. We want someone we can see. So you see that although God had been their king, governing them for their good and leading them, they were desperate for a person to rule them, someone who would govern them, perhaps a real person they could see rather than the God they could not see. Even this was not entirely true because God had provided men to be his representatives, to speak on behalf of God's people. And then you come to 1 Samuel 15. So Saul became the first king. Saul was a good king. God's spirit came upon Saul and Saul went about doing uh, marvelous things for the people of Israel. Uh, However, uh, Saul came to a moment of decision. This decision was that God told him to go out and defeat an enemy and to wipe out the whole, the whole enemy, to wipe out all their animals, to wipe out the whole of the enemy. And, uh, and what Saul decided to do is he said, all right, I'll wipe everyone out, but I'm going to keep the ruler and I'm going to keep a few sheep and goats and, and, and animals so that we can make some sacrifices to God. So in this one small way, he thought, oh, I'm just going to bend the rules a bit. Just going just gonna to do it my way. Um, and, uh, and this had disastrous effects. So his moment of decision was to obey God, was to obey God or to bend the rules and just sort of disobey him and, and, and make my own decisions. And so you see here, God had been on the throne of his heart and at this point, you see him sort of climbing up and, and grabbing on and going, God, I'm just going to bend it a bit. I'm, I'm just going to try and sit on here with you. And, uh, and I'm going to make my own decisions. <clears throat> Saul let self-rule on the seat and God removed him as king. That was the end result. He, he lost his kingship. And here was uh, the first of the fulfillment of God's promise saying, you want a king, it's not going to go well for you. Then David came. He came to a moment of temptation and had a decision to make. He would, he'd been a great king. He'd done marvelous things for God's kingdom. Uh, but he came to a point where he sent his army out to battle. And the story goes that he stayed back and sat on his rooftop. And, uh, and he checked out um, of the battle. And instead of going to the battle, he let his lust win. Uh, and so uh, he committed adultery with another woman. And, uh, and landed himself in all sorts of disastrous trouble, ultimately killing this woman's husband. And, uh, and you see here uh, the opportunity, the decision had to be made. Will I trust God completely or will I let myself lust, the lust for what I want, overtake and sit on the throne? Will I trust God completely or will I just let self just sort of rule for a little bit and just go, oh, I'll give in to that? yeah that that should be okay uh and he ended up with disastrous effects. but here's the interesting thing 2 samuel 7 says this so this is the next book that samuel uh wrote and he made a promise to david because god wasn't done he knew that humans were imperfect he knew that the people who were going to rule weren't going to be perfect and so he wasn't done and he made this promise to david He said this, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. Notice that word forever there. There'll be a kingdom that will last forever that will come from David's family. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men the stripes of the sons of men but my steadfast love will not depart from him as i took it from saul whom i put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me you hear god's making a promise to establish a kingdom and and a rule that was going to last forever your throne shall be established forever now we all know that david didn't last forever right but we know that God is a faithful God to his promises. So it was for the next hundred year, few hundred years that there would be kings over Israel, the majority of whom regarded their own plans, their own reputation, their own decision-making as of prime importance. And this had disastrous effects for God's people. It ruined God's people time and time and time again. It lay unnecessary burdens upon God's people, unnecessary stresses on God's people. Why? Because the king refused to obey God's plans. The king refused to bow the knee and bend the knee to the God of the universe who'd been their true father for their entire history. There was a few glimmers of hope. If you go through, you might be able to find a chart and go home and do some research. You find a chart and see there were some good kings that came through that. And I think this was actually a, a, a part of God saying there's still hope, people. There's still hope because when you submit, when you obey lovingly gladly obey you know what there's going to be good things that overflow uh, for you but also for this king all kings who refused god's ways crushed and ruined the nation they were filled with burdensome worries and they ended up being enslaved to other nations they were spread out amongst warring nations as refugees but here's the thing those who trusted in this good god had hope hope of someone who would come and establish the kingdom forever Because as we'll see, when God promises, he ensures his promise remains. So here's the two things that were important for uh, the people ruling over God's people, the kings. Number one was that God had to be faithful to his promise. When God made a covenant with David that I'm going to set up a kingdom and it's going to last forever, that was God's job description. That was like, this is what I'm going to do, but here's what you need to do. The kings had to obey him. The kings had to lovingly submit to his rule and his authority. We know that didn't go well. We know that that failed. However, God is still God. He made this promise to a man called Isaiah who shared it with God's people. And he said this, this is one of those things that, uh, so six or 700 years before Jesus even came on the earth, uh, Isaiah made this promise and you've probably heard it a lot of times before. It says this, "'For unto us a child is born. "'To us a son is given "'and the government will be upon his shoulder.'" and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end upon the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore you hear in the the promise in here there's going to be a baby who's going to be born and that baby is going to take the throne That baby is going to take the throne of a kingdom that's going to last forever. The kingdom that doesn't ebb and flow with local governments. The kingdom that doesn't ebb and flow with worldwide governments. The kingdom that will last through all those governments and will last forever. And the king was going to be this little baby who we're about to celebrate this Christmas. Fast forward to where Jesus comes. So, six or seven hundred years, we're, we're sort of skipping over six or seven hundred years. Can you do that with me? <laughs> That's what you tend to do in the Bible, anyway. Six or seven hundred years later, here's what an angel came and spoke to Mary. Mary was a, uh, a single lady, she was betrothed to Joseph, but they weren't married yet. And the angel Gabriel came. You hear the miraculous work going on here. The angel Gabriel came and said this behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give to him listen the throne of his father david so six or seven hundred years later here's the promise being fulfilled remember that throne that i promised david remember that kingdom that was going to last forever well it's now going to be fulfilled with this baby with jesus the christ And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then angels, this is the second example, the angels declaring the birth of this humble king to the shepherds. So here's a bunch of shepherds sitting out in a field, and the story goes that a bunch of angels came and started shouting the glory of God. And they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so here enters Jesus, the rightful king. Not the king who was going to be like any of the other kings. He was going to be the king to trump all kings. And he was going to be the king that would last forever. For this king, he will reign forever. His kingdom will last forever. And the peace that he brings will continue to grow and grow and grow. For other kings, death was the end of them. Their rule was limited by death. However, Jesus was not limited by death. Jesus did die, but he conquered death and got back up again. And that's a demonstration. That's a hope that we actually have, that his kingdom is going to last forever. This kingdom that we hear about in the Bible is going to last forever. In fact, there's evidence right here, right now, that his kingdom is lasting forever. His church is continually being grown throughout all the world. The reason you're sitting here today is either because you're interested in God's kingdom, you're a part of God's kingdom, or you want to know more about God's kingdom. Uh, that, that's why you're sitting here today. And so you've got evidence right here that God's kingdom is at work. But it's not a kingdom where there's a king uh, and, and a castle and, uh, and we can go and worship this king on the castle. No, no, no. Uh, the king, uh, sorry, the kingdom is being worked out in the invisible. You remember the analogy that I talked at the start. The heart of every human being is the seat of the mind, will, and emotions and there's always someone ruling on this heart, in this heart. What will his government look like? Well, one clear defining characteristic is peace. Peace not as a state of mind or a place of escape. It's not where you do your yoga and you sort of empty yourself of all other things. No, this is the peace of knowing the man called the Prince of Peace. It's the peace that passes all understanding. Second thing, he'll reign with perfect justice and act with righteousness for all his people. The question is, where will his rule be found? Ultimately, when he comes back, because he promises he's going to come back again. Right now, Jesus is sitting in heaven and, uh, and he's awaiting the appropriate moment to come back onto the earth and to bring with him his kingdom and to, uh, to, to, to bring all his people unto himself. But right now, here and now, right now it's in the, in the invisible realm of the hearts of all people. So this season that we call Christmas... Every human here has a heart, whether they're a child, whether they're a youth, or whether they're an adult. Every human has a heart. And on that heart, it's more than a blood-pumping machine, on that heart is the throne. And the question is, who is sitting on that throne today? The question remains, who will, tr- who will you trust to rule your life? Of course, to trust somebody is a risk. To enter into any relationship and open yourself to any person is a risk. Could go very badly, could go very well. It's always a risk. The great writer C.S. Lewis, though, wrote these words. He said, This God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as happiness and peace apart from God. And the little snippets of happiness and peace that you may find are nothing in comparison to the happiness and peace that's actually found when Christ sits on the throne of your heart and rules. Wrapping up. I'd love for the the band to come up. It's in trusting Christ to rule and govern your life that hope and peace is found. The problem is, is that the sin of our hearts, we want control. We love control, don't we? There's something uh, in us that's very much like God's people back in the Old Testament, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus came. The truth is, they wanted control. They wanted somebody who they could see. They wanted a king who uh, would listen to them. And they refused to submit to God's perfect ways. What we often find is that human ruling, sorry, the human ruling is ourselves. And what usually follows is despair, hopelessness, fear, anxiety about circumstances, envious competing with other people, and the list could go on, right? When you know that you're ruling on your own heart and you're sitting on the throne, uh, you know that other people often get messed up because you're enviously trying to keep control of your life. Other people get messed up. Other people often get crushed by words or by deeds because what are you doing? You've got to stay in control. The human sitting on the throne of his heart has to stay in control. He has to try and grab and make sure everything's under his control when ultimately that's not what you were made for. No human was made for that. Every human being that has ever been created was made to have Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of their heart. Maybe this image will help you. You see there's a throne there, and self, S, self, is sitting on the throne. Self directs the decisions, the actions, and it's all represented by the dots, often resulting in frustration. And Jesus, in this example, appears to sit outside of their life. It's like a, it's like a protest. I don't want Jesus ruling and sitting on, my, sitting on the throne of my heart. I've got to make my own decisions. I've got to make sure everything's in order myself and things go wrong. Who do I hope in? Me. Who do I hope in? Maybe someone around me who ultimately isn't going to fully help. What you were made for is this Christ-directed life. The cross represents Jesus. Jesus in the life and on the throne. Self is yielding, bowing the knee to Jesus. The person sees Jesus' influence and direction in their life. So what does Jesus' rule and reign mean? Jesus' rule and reign means perfect peace. As the self lays down, surrenders and says, I'm going to trust in the rule of Jesus. You could keep running. You could keep uh, working hard and keeping the, 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 your world under your control. Or you could today actually say, "Jesus." I'm done with that. I can't handle the fear anymore. I can't handle the weight and the depressing nature of all my worries and anxieties. I actually need to say, stop. There's actually a greater king than me. And I can trust him.